Welcome to the IT Innovation Insider, brought to you by Nutanix, where each month we focus on IT innovations that are moving federal agencies forward. Here's your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the Innovation Insider. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, Dan Fallon, the Senior Director of Federal Engineering at Nutanix, and Chris Howard, the Vice President of U.S. Public Sector, also at Nutanix. Chris, Dan, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate it. When we talked last, Dan, you and I had a great conversation about cybersecurity, secure by design. And as we enter 2020, cybersecurity, not surprisingly, remains a top priority of many agencies and industry executives. But as we also know, it's not alone that's just cybersecurity on that priority list. Agencies received good news in December when the Homeland Security Department released more details about the Trusted Internet Connection, or TIC 3.0 implementation. This will make moving to the cloud much easier and much more securely. In fact, in 2019, and if you look back over the last two years, OMB updated nearly every IT policy and took some initial steps toward implementation. We saw Cloud Smart. We saw expanded cybersecurity requirements under high-value assets. We saw the federal data strategy, updates to identity management, and so much more. In fact, all these policies set the roadmap for how agencies can move more quickly toward IT modernization. So, as agencies move from policy to implementation in 2020, let's start with the easy question. Will the priorities change over the next 12 months from what we saw in 2019? Chris Howard, Vice President of U.S. Public Sector for Nutanix, let's start with you. What do you think? I don't think the overall priorities will change significantly, but I do think there's going to be some discussion topics around supply chain and and just where things are sourced from that may alter some of the IT uh, decisions. But overall, I think the requirements that I'm seeing from the government are still the same. I mean, there's a little bit of modification, but for the most part, it's still how do they bring scale, ease of use, simplicity, consumption models, a whole bunch of different types of things into their environment, whether that's on-premise or whether that's in the cloud. They all want the same characteristics. So I, I foresee that we're still dealing with the same kind of priorities and requirements, but there will be some slight alterations around how things are procured and a lot more inspection on where does software and where does the hardware come from. I think that's a great point about the how procurement is happening and the, the inspection of software and hardware. And before we bring Dan into the conversation, let me ask you to open up a little bit more. The procurement side, do you see that this is the year, 2020 is a year for where agencies can move off of this? Let me buy 400 seats of something and instead let me just buy what I need today. And then if I need more tomorrow, I'll just buy more, the, the consumption model. Absolutely. I mean, we constantly push with customers to pay as you grow. Right, Buying, like you said, a warehouse full of stuff and then hoping to deploy it over the next 12, 18 months is no longer, it's not economical, it's not, it, it doesn't guarantee a secure s- supply chain because things are changed daily where they're sourced from. So I think getting into the model where we can pay for exactly what you need, that's the whole economics around the cloud and that's why there was been, there's been this big push to move to the cloud. It's, it's so you can, in theory, pay for things as you need them and as you want to grow. Now, the, the challenge that you have there is cost overrun. So when you're deploying stuff in the, in the public cloud, it still has a human touch to it. So you have to make sure you monitor right size and do all those types of things. But every day, part of our, our conversation uh, talk track with customers is no longer go out and buy five years' worth of stuff today. Now, if you can do it based on funding and contractual policies, 
pay for it exactly when you need it. And that's where products need to be built so that they can scale easily. You have to be able to do things in real time during production hours that don't require maintenance windows. So as long as the technology allows for that pay-as-you-grow, that is by far the absolute best situation for the government to, to be in. Dan, let me turn to you. Your focus area, as we've talked about before, is security. Uh, but give me the broader sense. What do you see as priorities besides the ubiquitous cybersecurity is always important? Yeah, there's definitely a growing trend in uh additional security policies, uh, new policies coming out this year. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into more of the uh, cybersecurity maturity model certification. That's a, a mouthful, CMMC for short. Um, so that's going to be a new one that we've been tracking. I kind of call it like the FedRAMP for companies. So more focus around the companies doing business with the federal government and all about what Chris mentioned, the supply chain. So end-to-end supply chain, uh, there's a lot of focus on that. You know, we were talking before um, the show here about how it seems there's a positive trend in security getting better. And I think what we're seeing is the day-to-day security, so patch management and kind of the, the table stakes of security, things you have to do to not be vulnerable, has improved. There's been a lot of prioritization around patch management and both from DHS and Cybercom on the DOD and the civilian side of getting all the agencies on board and monitored and being able to react quickly when there's a zero day threat. So that's gotten better. So now it's to the next phase of things that are maybe a little more remote in terms of how they, you know, how they're attacked. Supply chain is big and broad and it's probably a little less acceptable than a public facing website that has a vulnerability. That's priority one in security world, but if someone compromises your supply chain, the impact could be huge. So that's now I see the next shift in, in FedRAMP is growing in terms of what it does for cloud services and that's extending into the supply chain of the companies providing not only cloud services, but just any general product uh, to the federal government through these new policies around CMMC. So I think there's going to be a lot coming out in 2020 that everyone will have to pay attention to. Before we go down the path of CMMC and FedRAMP and things of that nature, let me back you up to one thing you said. The positive trend of security getting better is is a great point because so many times the government gets this reputation that it's not getting better, that it's still suffering through the same problems. You see it in inspector general reports or other audit reports. What tells you that security is getting better? And and is, is it more than just, hey, we have a new policy on identity management or high value assets? Yeah, I think it is overall just general focus and investment there. And I think the important thing is just because we see positive trend, now's not the time to back off the investment because the threat's continuing to grow. The nation state threat and the the random loan hacker, those are not going away, they're only increasing. So there's been a big focus in investment in terms of dollars and also the policies pushed down to the agencies that there's been enough time for the agencies to all get on board, get their investments, get their I mean, we've, we've done a ton of work with Splunk, Elastic, other products that do general monitoring of, so all the agencies now have visibility of what's vulnerable. I mean, that was step number one, just figure out what's out there, what's vulnerable. And they, a lot of agencies are now past that point where they can start reacting and be much more proactive to threats. All right, so we have some good kind of priorities looking forward. Let's come back around to something that Chris said in, in this consumption model. Is this a year where we see really that IT consumption model and IT modernization coming closer together, whether it's through stuff like 
uh, enterprise IT as a service or managed services? That is our belief, and that is the, the, the message that we're hearing from customers. So, you know, throughout the years, there's always been this uh, debate on which is easier and which has more funding. Is it the CapEx or the OpEx? Well, now it's kind of shifted towards we want to do this either as a managed service or we want to pay for exactly what we use. So I think this is going to be a big year to see that shift. Uh, it's sort of like we've been talking about it for five years, and it's been a slow progression point. But this year, we're already seeing a lot of the requirements that we're coming out with where we're being asked to do consumption-based models or capacity services types con- contracts. Now, what is the reason behind that? I don't know if it's that there's more money from an OMA perspective, you know, for operations, maintenance, and, and things that you can pay for as a service, or if it's just the government feels that being a fiscal responsibility, that they get better value out of the money that they're spending, and there's not a lot of, uh, you know, you always hate to hear as a provider to the federal government or any entity that it's shelfware. Right, you buy all this stuff up front. You pay out of uh, you pay out of your pocket with capex money, and it sits on a shelf. So as as we switch towards this new model of consumption, it should be a lot more economical. It should be a lot more valuable to the customer because they're using exactly what they pay for. There is nothing sitting idle, and you want to get to as close to 100% capacity as far as what you're using. And today, and in the history, when they bought this stuff, it takes years to get towards that 100%. Um, if that's your goal, 100% capacity. So I think that these new models are being embraced by the federal government. I know as a company that, that is selling into this marketplace, we are being asked a lot more than I've seen in previous years to come up with these different types of, of payment models. And, and I think that trend is going to continue as we get closer to the end of the fiscal year and also into the next year. So I think this is, this is, this is going to happen. It's no longer a prediction that we're trying to make. It is actually happening in, in, on a day-to-day basis now. Dan, jump in here. Yeah, going back to, to the beginning where we were talking about trying to predict what, you know, what will 2020 be the year of, it's, it's always hard to call that, especially in the federal government with a more gradual change. And we're talking about consumption models, which are impacted by federal budget, which is obviously, you know, that's even trickier to predict. But I think one thing we could, we could make a leap and say, all right, is 2020 the year of as a service and managed service contracts really taking a lead? Um, and I don't know if they'll get to the point of being a majority, but they're definitely, like Chris has mentioned, been one of the options being requested more by our customers and in, in the federal base. And just that takes a while to get there. So it's been a slow evolution. The, the customers have to be at the right time. They have to have their service contracts being at the right time so that then they can switch their IT over to something instead of them owning physical assets and physical data center space and having service contracts, they've now basically outsourced that as a general summary, but they still have a level of control. So it's, all right, they're no longer managing the, uh, the power and the pipe, and that's now, that data center is now someone else's. Um, they might go public cloud, they might go managed service. I mean, public cloud is really just a big managed service. And we're seeing a lot more requests for that. And it's good because it's creating, I'd say, a more competitive space so that you don't have to just only look at one public cloud option. You now have a selection of options because that the, the more contracts that come out in this flavor, 
the more products and services that'll be available to consume in that type of model. And that'll drive down prices for the government. So they don't only have one or two options to pick from in terms of the big, the big cloud. Dan, one of the things that comes to mind as you talk about the consumption model, what should agencies keep in mind? What's the one or two things they should keep in mind as they go down this path towards requesting consumption model from an engineering perspective? Yeah, obviously the product has to match the uh, budget and the consumption model. If the product doesn't fit and can't be scaled easily and can't be scaled granularly, then it's hard to meet that. So I would look for products that are what we call freedom to choose, so flexibility to run across all the environments. Uh, So you may have a need to have something in your own data center for maybe data sensitivity reasons, but you still want that in a consumption model. So options where software has a subscription service. So you're not committing, you know, I was at a meeting yesterday with actually a big state agency, but very, they're trying to model themselves after the Fed government. And they know they want to shut down one of their data centers over the next couple of years. So they don't want to buy assets and commit to five years. So you need software licensing that's flexible, that you're not committing all your years up front and you're able to subscribe to that. And even software licenses that allow you to transfer to the cloud. So that's a unique offering that you can actually swing your licensing up to the cloud and use it in that environment. So it's got to be the license has to support that, and the technology also has to support running across multiple environments, multiple clouds. All right, that's a great place to take a quick break. When we come back, we can talk some of the security stuff you mentioned earlier. You are listening to the IT Innovation Insider, sponsored by Nutanix on Federal News Network. A recent survey revealed that at least 50% of federal agencies are using multiple clouds in their IT environment. Combine that with the legacy infrastructure that most agencies still use, and you can imagine the complexity and the limitations of such an environment. But federal agencies are adopting Nutanix to simplify and manage this complexity. Nutanix software-driven infrastructure and enterprise cloud give IT freedom from complexity, freedom to work with any cloud, to run any application at the scale they need, to use whatever technology stack suits them and to invent the technology that will move their mission forward. To learn more about how Nutanix is helping organizations simplify their IT environments, visit Nutanix.com freedom. Welcome back. You're listening to the IT Innovation Insider, sponsored by Nutanix on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Dan Fallon, the Senior Director of Federal Engineering at Nutanix, and Chris Howard, the Vice President of U.S. Public Sector, also at Nutanix. Before break, we're talking about IT consumption model. And of course, when we talk about any sort of IT modernization effort, security is is front and center. We know security continues to be a major priority for all federal CIOs. So Chris, walk me through, security is changing as well, just like the IT consumption model is. What's your outlook for 2020 around cybersecurity in the federal market? Yeah, obviously, if you watch the news, cyber threats, especially with some of the recent activities that have happened, is is top of mind. And it's going to continue to be uh, probably the number one priority within the federal government. And what we do as vendors is we try to monitor that, track that, build products that are easily updated and and allow the best security posture to our customers. So I think there's a couple different areas that I think are going to be probably at top of mind from a government agency. Number one is supply chain. Number two is various FedRAMP certification and just overall threat assessment around your product. So we as a company, we take that uh, – 
to heart. So part of our software development lifecycle is constantly monitoring different cyber threats, making sure our product isn't vulnerable. If it is, if we do find any vulnerabilities, we try to, uh, or we do, we don't try to, we absolutely take care of those before a product is shipped out to the customer. So we have embraced this. We scan our products with the same products that the government scans their networks and, and, and looks for vulnerabilities. So we have taken this to the core development lifecycle position of our product and 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 I think as we progress throughout 2020 and even into 2021 um, this is going to be by far the number one requirement when, when we start doing conversations with customers or we get into actual proof of concepts the test plans and whatnot used to be just feature functionality now number one requirement as far as those test plans is how do we live up to today's threats and those threats change literally not only on a daily basis, but new threats come out a couple times a day. And it's, it's, it's very difficult to build a product to, to not be susceptible to those vulnerabilities, but you have to. If you want to be in the business of selling to the large Fortune 100 companies and the federal government, um, they're under attack every day. And, and I've heard numbers and statistics about how many threats that, say, for instance, uh, you know, large DOD entities get on a daily basis. And it's, it, it, it's, it's unbelievable the amount of time and effort and management that it goes into to, to be able to prevent yourself from being um, attacked. And we as vendors and OEMs that sell to the government, we have to do our part. Nobody knows how to secure their product and their particular offering better than the manufacturer. So if we're not doing that for the government, then we're just going to put them in a, in a very bad situation, and they're going to spend a lot of time um, trying to daily manage those, those threats. So um, without question, security, and I would say supply chain, and FedRAMP are two of the biggest things that are going to be um, evaluated as far as products being put onto the government networks. And, and we've seen it on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, we're constantly um, trying to make sure the supply chain risk assessments that the government has authorized and has put out as, as mandates, we follow them to the T. Because it's important, because it, it, we don't want to be the ones responsible for, for some sort of uh, vulnerability. And we take it very serious, and the government takes it very serious, and it's just going to become more and more prevalent, and it's always going to be top-of-mind requirement. Like I said, two years ago, it was more, well, how fast can you get data from here to there? Or what feature or functionality separates you from, from anyone else that we want to put on our network? And now those are secondary compared to just the risk that is being input into your product um, on a government network. So uh, it's a day-to-day, -day, I mean, it's every day we deal with this. I, I have daily communications, and so does Dan Fallon, with our internal security teams, and, um, and we take it serious. And I think every product vendor out there should take it serious. Dan, one of the things that Chris is really referring to is the conversation we had back in uh, October, and you can find that show on federalnewsnetwork.com around Secure by Design. Are you getting that request by agencies? How are you, Nutanix, secure by design? How are the products, your partners, secure by design? Is that, the, the again, another theme we're going to see in 2020? I think that's actually going to be one of the big shifts we see is if you look at a lot of the supply chain standards out there today, I mean, dating back to you have the Made in America Act, TAA compliance, and a lot of items are focused on hardware-centric concerns. So everyone's concerned with the physical asset. But if you think about today's IT, almost everything lives in the software. So while the physical asset is important, um, we have to make sure the hardware is secure. And that's 
really, you know, out there already. It's been done for a while. Um, and I think the shift we're going to see over the next year and the, the following years is really shifting to that software supply chain. And it's much bigger, <laughs> a lot more lines of code out there and harder to inspect. Um, so that's what we're starting to see. I mean, CMMC is, is a little bit of that, like in, inspecting the company that's writing the code and, and integrating the code with the government, the big integrators. Um, but there's probably more development that'll happen around policies and making sure the federal government can ensure the products that they're buying have a software supply chain end-to-end that will hold up to the government security standards. And it's not all about just standard policies. We, we do all the standards around you know, FIPS validated, common criteria, and all the big ones out there. Uh, but those, those cover specific items, and, and there's really this whole umbrella of supply chain that I think is still going to come up as a big item over the next couple of years. Chris, I hear a lot of industry concern about CMMC. Uh, I think uh, Dan had mentioned it in, in earlier on that, you know, that's in many ways that could be the Fed ramp for companies in, in some ways. What's your take when you talk to your industry partners, when you talk to agencies, even not in the DOD world, or is CMMC one of those topics that you always touch upon? I mean, I wouldn't say it's in every conversation, but it is It is a daily part of our talk track, and it's a, it's a daily part of the customer talk track. Supply chain and, and where items are procured and where they're developed and where they're manufactured or assembled has always been kind of out there on the periphery, but now it is absolutely uh, critical to be able to prove to not only the government but other entities that, that we deal with as a, a provider to global companies um, that we can show and, and validate that we take every precaution necessary to prevent having any types of backdoors or, or, or um, you know, capabilities where there could be a, a cybersecurity threat. So um, while I said it's, it's not every customer is asking about it, but if you're meeting at the CIO level or certainly if you're meeting with the people that are responsible for security, it is coming up in almost every conversation. So I would say we're going to continue to see that. And I think there's also going to be more, um, you're going to see more stuff come out from a regulations uh, perspective where companies are going to have to certify prior to any acquisition that they meet these standards. And that's what the, the, the whole the rationale behind some of the new legislation that's coming out. So um, while, while it's not every single customer is talking about it, it is becoming more and more prevalent on a daily basis in meetings that we're having with the federal government. And we'll see some of those regulations from the Federal Acquisition Security Council that is uh, supposed to come out with some recommendations in early 2020 as well. Dan, when you have those conversations with your customers and, and you talk security more, more, more broadly, what are some of the hot, hot button issues around supply chain or, or even if you want to go one step further more broadly around, you know, when it comes to cloud security that, that you continue to hear? Probably one of the most common is uh, FedRAMP. And unfortunately, I, you know, we're well down FedRAMP for multiple products and are very familiar with that whole process. Um, but I think there's still a lot of education to do with what FedRAMP exactly means. The challenge is customers that say, oh, I need to see FedRAMP before you'll even have a discussion. And then that, that for, for me, that creates two issues. Is one is you're stifling innovation there if you're not talking to new companies because uh, it takes, you know, FedRAMP's a 12-month process if, if you're doing well. The second problem is I think they think FedRAMP's a silver bullet when it comes to security. 
Because we get that question not only for our cloud services, but also for our on-prem product. Um, in FedRAMP's really just the starting point of your cloud service security. So it shows you've met the minimum bar for the service that's managed by the cloud service provider, but there's still a lot of responsibility on the agency. Uh, if they put out a operating system that's unpatched on top of AWS, it's on the GovCloud, but the OS is unpatched. So there's a shared responsibility when it comes to the security burden. So I think we we show how we meet the security certifications and accreditations that are needed, and we've a lot of experience across all the classification levels there, but it's also helping educate the customer. We get this question a lot is, what are my roles and responsibilities? So having those discussions so they know what they need to take responsibility for on their part, and then where the cloud service provider comes in. Um, so knowing exactly where that is, and that's what helps you avoid those those bad headlines where you have a service you know exposed in the public cloud or any cloud really, on-prem or, or else. Chris, do you get a sense of why we still need education on FedRAMP? Here we are, feels like you know eight, eight nine years later. It's just a long, arduous process. There's hundreds and hundreds of security controls. Uh, we as a company, we were fortunate in that when the company first got into business, Federal was one of the key marketplaces that we decided to explore. So we, we had to be well-versed in uh, the security and early days of FedRAMP. But as Dan said, a lot of the innovative and disruptive companies that are coming out today, um, they purposely choose to not go into Federal right off the bat because there is a, um, they're not aware of all the difficulties and all the security controls, all the cyber requirements. And so for them, it's, it's usually the last place that they want to invest in, which is unfortunate because of the innovation that they're bringing to the table could be extremely valuable to, to our federal government. And um, so as far as education itself goes, we're fortunate in that we all have a long-standing federal background. We know exactly how the federal government works, but a lot of these new companies just don't understand exactly what the requirements are. And quite honestly, if there was a, a guidebook for dummies for FedRAMP, that would be incredibly helpful. Because if you, if you try to go out and read and educate yourself, it's, it's, the, the data is overwhelming, and the language that is used is somewhat unfamiliar to people that don't have a long-standing history with federal. So um, educating these innovative companies is going to be critical if, in fact, we want them to embrace and, and take the development time to build products that can reside on a federal network. So um, how do we get that message out, and what's the best way to educate? I don't know, and I was obviously being somewhat uh, uh, funny when I said if there was a guidebook for dummies for FedRAMP, that would be fantastic. Simple, make it simple, make it understandable. And also, we have to figure out how to streamline the process. The government is going through an evolution on how to make it easier for companies to even get involved in the FedRAMP process and cut down the 12 to 18 months that it takes to go through this process down to a more meaningful time. Um, if there's a critical requirement or a critical product that you want and you want to put it on a government network or, or have it available in some sort of cloud model, I mean, waiting 12 to 18 months, that's not really acceptable. You're, you're stifling innovation. You're, you're not giving the, the government customer the opportunity to succeed with a product that's available. And so then they're forced to go back into the legacy products that are available and the legacy products that have been out there for 
you know, 5, 10, 15 years. So if we want to embrace innovation and we want to disrupt the way we do business, we have to make this process easier and we have to make it more understandable for the common person. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today. So let me uh, thank my guests, uh, Dan Fallon, the Senior Director of Federal Engineering at Nutanix. Dan, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. And Chris Howard, the Vice President of U.S. Public Sector, also for Nutanix. Chris, thank you as well. It's my pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to the IT Innovation Insider, sponsored by Nutanix on Federal News Network. I've been your host, Jason Miller. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search IT Innovation Insider. Thank you for listening to the IT Innovation Insider, brought to you by Nutanix for Federal News Network, 1500 AM and federalnewsnetwork.com. Today's episode can be found on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com, keyword NTNX.